Welcome to the Two Northern Lasses podcast with host Michelle Cowan and guests. Brought to you by Absolute Media UK, Huddersfield's perfect podcast production pit. Hi Siobhan. Hiya. Today I've got with me fellow Yorkshire lass, Siobhan Daniels. Now I'm going to introduce you formally. You are a pro-age campaigner who used to work for the BBC and you're a speaker and you're a blogger and what interests me the most is that you packed everything in and took off in a motorhome. So we're going to get to that. Uh, but firstly, I'm really pleased that you're joining us today. And, and our listeners can't see this, but you're actually sat in your camper van now. Not your camper van, your motorhome. Your motorhome. <laughs> and, and you look all cosy and, uh, and, oh, it just looks great. And uh, you've got a cuppa there, so that's nice. Um, so I've done a bit of digging as I always do we've talked before so you're not a stranger to me and and you're not a stranger to the podcast because I do know that you listen um when I was uh stalking you so to speak <laughs> I'm not finding out a bit more about you I found out that you actually trained as a nurse so tell me a bit about how you go from being a nurse to being a BBC presenter well, um, I trained as a, a, a nurse, a, a state registered nurse at, at Jimmy's St. James's in Leeds. Um, I started in August 1977 and actually I got appendicitis 14 days later, the same day that Elvis died. Oh, um, wow. I had my appendix out. So then I started again in the October. And um, so I trained to be a nurse and I worked for nine years as, as a nurse and I loved it. I really did enjoy doing it. And I worked at um, Pinderfields and Pontefract Hospital as well and I was training to be a midwife at the LGI when I uh, left um, and I went to be a pharmaceutical rep for a year um, selling slow-release morphine to hospices and during that time I became pregnant with my daughter and I taught myself to type and I did my typing exams and I applied for a job at uh, BBC Radio Leeds um, on reception and I got a job just answering the phones and at reception on the Saturday morning and a Monday when Sammy was a baby. And I was rubbish at it. I used to cut everybody off. I was going, oh, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> and then um, whilst I was there, I heard an advertisement come up the airways for the BBC Training Reporter Scheme. So I applied for it and seven and a half thousand people applied for 26 places. Um, and I luckily got one of the places. So um, my partner at that time, he already had a few affairs and things and I could see the writing on the wall. I was going to be a single mum, sort of as a part time nurse, or I took this opportunity um, and went and trained for a year. So basically, that's what I did. I did my local government exams and law exams for the BBC and went to work in local radio. So that's how I transitioned from being a nurse to being a journalist. And were you presenting segments in shows or did you have your own show or what what was it? I used to present uh, news bulletins a lot um, and then I got my own show at BBC Radio Humberside. Um, I had a Saturday morning programme and then I co-presented the breakfast programme for a while um, and then I did the drive time programme um, on Radio Humberside and then I wanted to be in television so I applied for a job in television and moved down to uh, Tunbridge Wells 
I moved south and uh, got a job as a television reporter and I reported on screen for a while um, and then I was a, a news producer and that's what I was doing when I left. Gosh and do you never hanker after your nursing days? I do sometimes. I mean, it was great fun because I lived in the nurses' home at St. James's and um, my best friends are still from that first week of me starting nursing. And when I started on my motorhome adventure, um, both of those, one from Ireland and, and Maggie from Leeds, both of them joined me and we did a girls' road trip together, which was brilliant. And we were just laughing about all the things we did when we were nursing and all the parties in the, the nurses' home. Um, but I don't, I think it's completely different now nursing from when I was a nurse. Mm. And what are the highlights of being a BBC presenter? Uh... Not many <laughs> by the looks of your face. <laughs> well, I think for me, I went into it naively quite late. I was 40 when I went from radio and I loved radio and I was sort of like a big fish in a small pond in radio. Then I moved to television and then that's when I first started um, coming up against ageism and being a 40 odd year old woman, that's when they tend to be sort of moving them sidewards in the media and television and things. Not so much nowadays, but very much in those days. So it was like a battle for me um, to be able to be on screen and to be able to report because um, they wanted the younger ones predominantly. So it was bittersweet for me. Some bits I loved, some bits I didn't, but I loved producing news. I, I loved being involved in breaking news stories and adrenaline flowing. But there was a, by the end of my career in the BBC, there was a lot of negativity. Mm. And ageism's talked about a lot now. And I think it's definitely been kind of brought to the fore a bit more in, during COVID. Yeah. But what for for those that don't understand ageism or don't know about ageism because of their age what does it show up like what how, how does it feel to be discriminated uh, against your age well the the thing is as well ageism isn't just for older people ageism is any age and that's what we, it's important to remember because young young people can be discriminated in the workplace just as much as older people can. My personal experience was as an older woman and feeling marginalised and not feeling heard and not being given the um, career opportunities um, that, that were available to younger people who were far less experienced and, and made often made many many mistakes because they were less experienced um, and that was the culture but what I try to do in my message of pro-aging and positive aging is talk to the younger ones because I think you need to get the message early even in school about you know go in and say to them if I say the word old to you what do you think about and they start you know 40 50 so it's amazing the kind mm. of responses I get and it's just saying to them you need to make sure that when you get to my age, you don't get treated the way that I got treated in the workplace, that many women are being treated in the workplace. They're, they're leaving work in their mid-50s and, and early 60s when they don't get the pensions now till they're, what, 67, 68. And so they've got a good 20 years to work, and yet they're being treated accordingly with you know ageism. It's, it's rife in many workplaces. And the more people I talk to it is, but I think, like you said, during COVID, it's been a good time for people to connect and talk about it and say, we're no longer going to have this. Um, you know, we want to be treated um, 
appropriately you know don't marginalize us listen to our voice listen to our experience you know give training courses for older people because they've got another 20 years in the workplace before they can get the pension yeah um did you feel any pressure to try to have to sort of make any changes to the way that you look oh gosh yeah and you can see i didn't <laughs> But no, I, I did. I'm the same camp as you, Siobhan, so don't worry. <laughs> God's good, though, because your eyesight starts to go just as you get all the wrinkles, so you can't quite see them until you put your glasses on and then it's a shock. Um, but I've earned these wrinkles. Um, yeah, no, there was definitely that pressure. And you could see the youngsters, a lot of them had eating disorders and all kinds of things that I witnessed in the newsrooms as soon as they felt that they were going on screen. So it wasn't a healthy environment, not for, for everybody, but I witnessed it, I saw it, and I tried to mentor some of the young ones to say, you know, you are good, you're an intelligent woman, you're a brilliant journalist, you should not be sub allowing yourself to be subjected to this or feeling that you have to look a certain way and behave a certain way to get on in the workplace. But for me, when my daughter went to university, I took a gap year from the BBC because I was just going through the menopause and one of my brothers had just died at 53 and I was struggling with the ageism. And so I took a gap year, I packed a rucksack and I went off around the world and it was, I had such a ball and it was life-changing, but I hung out with young people and old people. I just felt ageless. And that was the first time in my life I sort of realised that, you know, we're pushed into boxes about what we should be and should be doing at certain ages and how we should w w look when we're a certain age. I mean, who the hell became the fashion police and said, over 50, you can't do this? It's crazy. So I, I think I'd really struggle with um, trying to get everything into a backpack. You know, it's, it's funny how attached we get to the material stuff, the you know, when, what do you actually need? Well, do you know what? I could actually lose T-shirts and things in my rucksack by the end of it. I think, oh, I've got that T-shirt. Because you, you you end up just being with like a T-shirt, a sweatshirt, pair of shorts, pair of um, jeans, flip-flops and walking boots. And you just alternate between those kind of things. Travel towel. You don't need that much at all. I used to have a couple of different uh, chunky necklaces and a grey um fancy shirt and a black fancy shirt and that was my going out outfit so that's all I could choose between um but the thing for me when I came back I just thought I am going to champion um ageism now I'm going to stand up for it and I felt really strong when I came back from traveling and and that's when I got the little seed in my head as well of I'm going to travel around in a motorhome so you came back did you go back to the BBC after your sabbatical yeah, went back to the BBC, thought I'd, I, would, I could handle anything, you know, ageism and the menopause and all sorts of things. And then sadly, one of my sisters, my elder sister, who was 53, died of lung cancer really quickly within five months of being di diagnosed. And that completely floored me. I was in a real pickle. I didn't quite know how to cope. Um, and I think the menopause as well, I, I kept thinking I was getting... Um, MS or Alzheimer's or whatever because I was sort of feeling exhausted and weak and my headachey. and my daughter said to me 
mum, you've got to do something. So she said, we need to do something positive, raise some money for charity, you know, to, to remember Jonathan and Helen, my brother and sister. And she said, let's run a marathon. And I went, oh, let's not. <laughs> but we ended up, we ran, she, we trained. Um, she, oh my God, she pushed me out that door training. But we did the Brighton Marathon in five hours, two minutes. And then a couple of years later, we did the London Marathon. So I did that in my 50s. That's so just fantastic. And, and I did a marathon in my 30s and I know how hard it is and the commitment to training and the relentless getting out there, rain or shine, just to just to you know keep your fitness up and get a little bit fitter and it's it's a massive achievement and you mentioned your times there it's it's really funny because people that have run marathons are not really bothered about people's times are they because they just go gosh you've done a marathon I know I, I know how hard that is it's like it doesn't matter how long it took you you've done a marathon actually you've done two so yeah that that's fantastic so what kind of brought the camels back then for you to pack it all in and go and get that motorhome? Uh, there was a lot of bullying in the, the newsroom where I was in particular, um, and I did struggle. Um, obviously, I can't go into detail with it, but I struggled very much with, with the way I was treated, and it wasn't just me. There was a lot of people, and it was a toxic atmosphere to be in, and I just couldn't carry on any longer. And, in fact, the bosses did ask me to stay on um, uh, for another year, and I just said, I've come to the end of my tether. I've... I've decided in my head that I want to get this motor home and I want to go off traveling and luckily I've got the BBC pension coming so I could do that and so that's basically I was saying to everybody for years I was going to buy my motor and I'm going to do it and then by the end of it they were all going oh my goodness you're really going to do this aren't you you're really going to get a motor home. And I said yep I'm going to go to Scotland I'm going to stand on the edge of a lock and I'm just going to scream and I'm going to you know enjoy life get rid of all my anger and I actually did that as well. And what did you have a plan of where you were going to go? My plan initially was to have no plan was just to go with the flow it was just to, to, to just experience freedom because for years working in radio and telly, everything's timed so tightly to the second and to the minute so that you can opt in and out of programs. So, and I was on a rotor where I was told what days I was working, what days I wasn't. So all this, so I just wanted to experience timelessness, freedom, you know, getting up in the middle of the night if I want to make myself a cup of tea in the motorhome. So I set off um, not really knowing where I was going to do, but thinking I wanted to do England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales and just sort of work my way round, not in any particular order. Um, and two of my friends that I'd nursed with, uh, on my first day of nursing, they joined me and we went to the Yorkshire Dales because, of course, being a Yorkshire lass, even though I've lived down south for 20 that? years, I've got to start in the Yorkshire Dales. So we went to the Yorkshire Dales and near Otley and Ilkley um, and stayed on the most amazing place just overlooking Wensleydale. And then we went up into the Lake District and did water stuff. But it was just fantastic with them. And then I just sort of went with the flow and sort of ended up going down the country, but doing lots in the Peak District and the Cotswolds and Kent and Sussex and Malvern Hills. And then I went up to Scotland, went to Aviemore and to Loch Morlick, where I did a bit of screaming on the edge of the loch and got rid of all my anger and what have you. And uh, then I went to Loch Ness and Loch Lomond. And then the pandemic happened. 
So I ended up go heading towards Lancaster. Don't kill me for that. <laughs> I know it's the wrong side of the Pennines, but my sister was living there. So I, I ended up in a field um, for lot the first lockdown um, in Lancaster. Wow. And what I was thinking when I was earlier about when I was going to be talking to you about, you know, does it bother you that you, that you don't have a place to go to? Or is it more about the people than the place? Oh, it's definitely the, the people for me. I'm not bothered about not having a place to go to. When I got my motorhome, I lived in a gorgeous flat, a massive flat, two double bedrooms, open plan sitting room, the whole lot, gorgeous garden. And I gave all that up and I got rid of most of my possessions because when I was setting off another thing, as well as ageism, challenging ageism and, and promoting positive aging, I wanted to, to say society was getting it all wrong. We were all going out there working long hours to earn money to buy loads of stuff that we don't really need and because of that we couldn't spend time with family and friends and I just felt more and more I just kept, we're getting it wrong including me so I wanted to prove with this adventure that I'm doing now that you could live with very little and be still be happy um, and that's what I'm doing so it doesn't bother me the possession side of it doesn't bother me no and I actually um I follow you on social media, that is Twitter, um, Instagram, and lately TikTok. Oh, yes, I've been trying that. Which I love. And I think because, you know, I, I'm i actually um, looking at buying a motorhome, me and my, my husband. Do it, do it. Yeah, and uh, it, we just got to get through a few obstacles before we get there, but... I love watching those TikTok motorhome stories of just, it is everything that you think about freedom and just doing your own thing. And like, you know, if you want to stay an extra night where you are, you can generally just do that if the site can accommodate you. Um, but I, I love your, um, I love your, your little videos that you do. I'm and I also making them actually. Well, and it's what a lovely record you've got of, of your travels yeah yeah um, and it also allows I guess your family and friends to really keep in touch with you or to at least know that you're safe and and you're happy and, and you always seem happy by the way when you're walking on some beach or down a country lane and um and so yeah I've had a lot of motorhome envy watching you Aww. and the um I read your blog this morning in preparation for I, I knew we were going to be t talking and and I was really quite moved by some of the things that you were writing about, especially the, um, you know, some of the loneliness um, during COVID when you were stuck in one place, basically. Um, but I, I guess that kind of proves that you're just kind of ready for what life's going to throw at you and, and you've dealt with it. And and our listeners can't see this, but you do look really happy and, and I don't think you're making it up. You, you've always got a smile on your face. And, um, it was tough at, at sometimes 
I don't really suffer from loneliness, if I'm honest. At the very beginning, I did a little bit, but my mum had only died six months before I set off. So I think it was more missing my mum and thinking what she'd be thinking of me doing this. And and also as a kid, I never listened when she was telling me about all the birds, which were, which was which. And then I was seeing all these birds and I was just thinking, oh, I wish my mum was around, you know, because now I've got the time to stop and stare. She's not here. So I felt a bit lonely then. But in lockdown particularly the second lockdown i was five months in a field mainly on my own in norfolk and it was the winter time and sun setting at 20 to 4 and being in my motorhome a long time i did get quite miss just after christmas because my daughter couldn't come with the government restrictions of covid and things and i experienced for the first time then a little bit of loneliness Mm -hmm. and questioned even question what I was doing, thinking, is this worth it? Because I am a people person and I need to connect with people. And luckily for me, I've come out the other side and when I've connected with my family now, it's been really emotional. I can't believe how raw I was. In retrospect, I think, gosh, I was quite low. Mm. Um, But I think I kept going for walks all the time, even when my pipes all got frozen and during the snow, um, I didn't give up. I got all my thermal underwear, wrapped the pipes and I collected snow and melted the snow and made myself cups of tea. And I used to boil the water so I could have a strip wash. I felt I was Bear Grylls. (laughs) (laughs) Do you do any foraging? Yeah, I've tried. I've tried to do some. I, I went foraging for nettles and then found out from somebody it wasn't the nettle season, so that's why I couldn't find any. You know what blackberries look like, though, don't you? Yeah, I do, I do. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of thing. I buy fruit and nettles and um, hawthorn bushes and things like that. I've, I've had to go at, but not much. But I want to do one of those days where you... Um, go into and sleep outside and learn to cook bread over a fire and things what you know a day in the wilderness so I'm going to look mm. to do one of those yeah good and I saw somewhere that one of the taglines is that you help women age well and and because I do follow you on social I, I know that you're doing some great stuff but for you personally what you are over 60 and I think our listeners have probably got that now what is the best thing about being in your 60s? I think for me, I've learned to say no to things that I don't want to do. And, and I've learned to say yes to, to things that I might be a little bit scared of doing. So it's, it, I feel more confident. I feel stronger. Um, I feel I like myself. I think I wrote an article for a magazine not so long ago saying it took me till I was 60 to learn to love myself. I think when I look back in my life, a lot of myself has been, I've tried to be what I think I sh- people wanted me to be for them to like me or to love me. Even though I've been a strong character all my life, that's been inside of me. There's been a, a quiet insecurity. Now I've decided I like who I am. I like what I'm doing. And I want to help other women not feel as bad as I've been made to feel at times in my life by people. Yeah. And I think that, for any of our listeners that, that want a bit of uh, Siobhan and your positivity around ageism, they should find you on social media. And I love your, your uh, social media handle, which is Siobhan Shoveoff. <laughs> um, and, and it's great. And you put some really great stuff out there, some helpful stuff and some fun stuff and, and just 
Oh, thank you. To your life and, and what life could be like for, for people that are maybe feeling a little bit stuck. Um, One thing I want to say, though, as well is I want more and more women to stop um, buying anti-aging creams and anti-aging this and, and try and um, communicate with the cosmetics industry and advertising industry and media that we want pro-aging. We want, we're all aging from the day we're born. So, you know, we can't, let's not fight it. Let's go with it. Let's enhance it. Age the best way we can. So let's have creams that enhance aging, creams that make us look as good as we can or as best as we can. I don't want, I've, I've got some shampoo that I won in a competition. I was so thrilled with it. And then I looked at the bottle and it's anti-aging shampoo. What's that all about? You know? Yeah. You're right. It's the language, isn't it? I mean, one of our earlier episodes, we had Gillian on and she's, um, she's, um in in the beauty industry mm. and, and one of the things she said is you know I, I can only work with what I've got which is there's no point trying to convince somebody who is over a certain age that they're gonna look x age because they're not As well the only way they can do it is put 30 odd year old women doing the adverts for those creams and then you think I'm way past that age that's not gonna happen even with yeah. a cream I definitely think <clears throat> there's been some kind of shift, movement, whatever you want to call it, around um, pro-aging yeah. during COVID. And certainly for myself, you know, I had that grey moment in, in lockdown. And now I've been back to the hairdressers and I've started incorporating grey into my my look because I just think, you know, I'm, I'm ready now. I've got used to it. I can, it looks I can look. good. I can look at my grey roots and not not worry about it. Um, and I've started looking at lots of um, of women on on social media and, and somebody that we both know, Rachel Peru. Oh, I adore her. I just think she gave me confidence. She interviewed me on her podcast very early on. And, and it was like, yes, some people do want to listen to what I've got to say. Because at first I wasn't really sure if people would just think I'm some crazy woman just tootling around in a motorhome. But yeah. I love her. And and she's very pro aging gracefully, if you like. Yeah. You know, she's got she's embraced a, a silver hair. She's you know, she's got a fabulous outlook on life and she she's a great role model for women in midlife. Um, you say about the silver hair I I mean you can see I dye my hair and when I talk to some people about pro-aging they go to me ah well why do you dye your hair then and I say it's a choice it's what we can do what we want we can age the way we want to age if you want to go silver go silver if you want to stay coloring your hair color your hair there's yeah. no one size fits all no, I, I I totally agree with you. I love everything that you stand for and I'm so glad that you've agreed to come on the podcast. We're kind of at that point now in the podcast where I'm going to ask you some random questions taken from this pack of cards. And if you were here in the studio, you'd pick your own cards but you're going to have to rely on me if you don't mind. I trust you. Go on. I trust you. The, the first question, and, and you're going to think that this is staged and it's not, it's what do you most like about yourself and why? <laughs> um, I, like the, I, I like the fact that I, I embrace adventure. 
um, I'm going now to, to um, a farm. I've, I've signed up to go to this farm to stay. I don't really know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. And I'm not really sure who the people are I'm going to see. So I like the fact that I, I, I face the fear, I listen to the voice and I do it. Yeah, there's something about um, like crossing an edge and not knowing what's over the, the other side, but being willing to take that chance that you're not going to fall. Yeah, well, my boss, when he said to me he wanted me to stay for another year at work because they got rid of somebody that was causing mayhem and a new one came in and he saw something in me and he wanted me to stay. And he said to me, you know, I want you to stay. And I said, I know I feel like I've got to the edge of the cliff and I'm ready to jump. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I just know I'm going in the motor and I want to go. I've got to. Yeah, yeah. No, good for you. Question two, what made you laugh today? Uh, I don't know, nothing really. It's been quite hectic today because I was moving from Folkestone and driving all along the coast and I've just arrived in Chichester and I knew I had this. So um, I've just been, I've been sort of quite tense today rather than laughing because um, oh. I have to fill the water, plug the electric, do it all. Um, but I'll sit back and uh, chill after I've done this and probably chuckle at a few things that I do. <laughs> but it's funny, the one day I haven't actually been laughing because um, I have been, yesterday I was at my friend's and we were sat in the hot tub and we were remembering all kinds of things because she worked with me at the BBC and we were just having such a giggle. We were like two kids. Yeah. Can't beat a girly night in the hot tub, can you? No, I know, with some bubbles. <laughs> yeah. And the final question. If you could have dinner with anyone, past or present, who would it be and why? Myra Angelou. I can never, I can never say her name properly. Is it Mariah, Myra Angelou? She's a, a feminist in Africa. She did the Caged Bird. It's a book that she's done, um, and her sayings and things that she believes in life. I'm just thinking now. Why didn't you just say somebody that everybody knew? Why have you made it complicated for yourself? Now everybody's gonna. I've just written it down. Going right. Okay, I need to just check out who this person is. She's amazing, amazing, amazing woman. I, honestly, I cannot believe that I've not been able to say her name properly. But she, um, she just advocates believing in yourself, having the strength to be the woman that you're meant to be, and not letting society get you down. Um, and she challenges all kinds of ageist attitudes and racist attitudes. Well, well she did do, she's sadly died, but um, so that, that would be the person that I would love to have dinner with. Great. Well, I am going to Google her and, and we'll find her and we'll put it in the show notes so that um, if anybody... Barbara Angelo, she's called, I think. Okay. Well, we'll still put it in the show notes anyway. Um Siobhan, you've been a great guest. I, I, I can't wait to get my motor home now, so I hope my husband's listening. Um, well, when I'm up in Yorkshire, which I will be in a few months' time, you'll have to come for a cuppa. Yes, definitely. In fact, you can probably come and leave your motor home on our drive. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah, listen, thanks a lot. I hope you have a great rest of your day in your, in your home and, and where you are, and I, I'm sure you're going to have a great time on the farm and I'm really looking forward to the TikToks that are going to come out of that. And I've loved chatting to you. Thank you very much. And I love your podcast. I think you've had some amazing guests. Thank Thanks you. a lot. 
Thank you for listening. If you like our podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. If you would like to sponsor a future episode, then please get in touch via social media.